Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I see them little seedlings. How long does that take? So by September? Oh, man. No, we started harvesting these in October. Okay. In October. Okay. Hailing from four generations of master farmers, John Wesley Boyd Jr. has raised everything from chickens, tobacco, wild pigs, corn, wheat. He maintains at least 100 head of cattle and proudly specializes right now in soybeans. The Sisters Perspective visited he and his wife at his home in both Baskerville, Virginia, and his newest acquisition, a nearly 900-acre farm in Boynton, Virginia. Last week. Last week, I'm sorry. I should have handed it to yesterday. We just checked out. Oh, Sunday is Monday, Jay. This is a Virginia agriculture center. Oh, okay, thank you. The license for the industrial hemp is statewide. Okay. Now, if Sonny Badu would say that we could use uh, USDA programs and services to grow the hemp, now that would be great, but they've actually issued a statement for 2019 that no USDA monies can be used for industrial hemp. You know what? Um, there's, a, there's an agriculture attorney. We were seeking to find out how he became one of the nation's most sought-after social justice voices in agriculture and farming. In addition to being a master farmer, husband to Kara, and father to Wesley and stepfather to Braven, his life experience in agriculture has led him to becoming a civil rights activist advocating for African-American farmers around the country. When asked about how he originally got into farming, here's what he had to say. I'll give you a short story. Basically, uh, my dad was a farmer, his dad was a farmer, and his dad was a farmer. And uh, I kind of grew up a little bit like many blacks did. Then parents moved up north and, and you know, moved back to the country. That's exactly what my parents did. So we moved back to a family farm in Bracey, Virginia. Which is right across the one up river. I'm gonna show you where that is. Bracy, Virginia. Bracy, B R A C E Y. Okay. So that's where um, my That's where your your parents up. live. That's where they live, that's where they're from. And uh, I kinda fell in love with farming. You know, uh -huh. And how how old were you when y'all moved to Bracy? Oh man, I was in the tenth grade. Okay, all right. So I was out there just a teenager. I was a teenager and you know, I, I really didn't want to move to the country. Have they coming over the summer since you were a kid? Uh -huh. Oh, okay. <laughs> since I was a kid, I, I thought that was okay. But actually, living here, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't feeling that at that particular time. Okay. Okay. That family farm, located in Mecklenburg County, just shy of the North Carolina border, is still owned and operated by the Boyd family today. For a long time, the Boyds conducted their farming operations without government assistance until one day, John Boyd Jr. decided he wanted to buy his own farm. you to have this place and uh, he said well, where are you gonna get money from 
<laughs> I said, I don't know. You know, I'm 18 years old. So I don't know where I'm gonna get money from. He said, well, the government got plenty of it, but they don't like to lend it to blacks. And uh, he said, that's what my loans were. But the guy up there is a redneck. That's what he told me. And I'm thinking, you know, I wasn't a 60s child, so I had some white friends. I said, man, that's tough. Man, we, we kind of moving ahead beyond that. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I'm saying about property line. Now. That's your property line? Okay. All right. So, uh, anyway, so I applied to uh, purchase the farm and I wound, wound it up uh, assuming Russell Sally's debts, a portion of his debts, uh, to purchase the farm. Because he had a mortgage on the property. He had a mortgage on the property. He gotcha. had lost the farm. And when we went to closing, uh, you know, all that was new to me. And uh, Russell yeah. Sally asked Mr. Garnett, the lending officer, well, how much money am I going to get out of this deal? And he said, well, Russell, you're not going to get anything because you already lost the farm. And uh, Mr. Sally, he, he was handicapped. He only had one hand. And he beat down on this wooden desk. That's what's coming up off the ground. He said, well, I don't, I don't give a damn if you give it to Bramford. 25 cents. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, oh, God. Hey, I went through a whole year to get this loan, and, and Mrs. Sally ready to blow my deal. You know, that's what I was thinking mm -hmm, of. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, that, that was my personal interest at the time. And uh, so, uh, uh, he said, uh, well, where are you going to get operating money from? He said, Mrs. Sally. I said, I don't know. He said, well, you can get that from the government, too. They're supposed to lend it to you, but they probably won't. So he told me, he told me, good, good luck with the Farmer's Home Administration. It was called the Farmer's Home Administration back then. And uh, so I went up there and applied for the applied for the loan, and and I got a loan sporadically here and there, but for for the most part, um, Mr. Garnett to me was was a redneck. You know, he tore my application up one year and, and, and threw it in the trash can. But they said, then I read something about it took uh, a year. 347 oh, 87 days to process to a black farm loan request and less than 30 days to process a white farmer's loan and uh one year i was sitting in his office this is, this is the truth the desk is sitting here i'm sitting here and mr garnett was sitting over there and uh this guy another guy farmer farmer earl comes in uh abruptly interrupts my loan app by process uh, with Mr. Garnett and, he, and uh, he says, oh yeah, there you go Earl, I got, got your check here. And it was a check for $157,000 in the 80s, you know, for a farm operating loan. A lot of money. Okay. So I'm sitting there looking at that and I'm begging for five, I, I, I was only um, needing $5,000 to plant my crop and harvest it. Sitting there pleading with Mr. Garnett for five thousand dollars, and this guy walks in, gets one hundred fifty. Mr. Garnett hands him one hundred fifty-seven thousand dollar check. They do the pleasantries. They're going to go down to South Hill and have dinner at Brian's Steakhouse. Him mm -hmm. and his wife. They did all the presents. And this was a white farmer that was oh, getting the check. Oh, this is this is this is the uh, epitome of of, of Mecklenburg right, County right. and what a, a white farmer would look like. Uh huh. And uh, on the way out. They said goodbyes, and I'm still sitting there, I'm looking, and Farmer Earl says, uh, Mr. Garnett says to Farmer Earl, oh, uh, Earl, 
Uh, come on in here one day next week and fill out that paperwork now. You know, for the loan and all. I ain't had time to do it. <laughs> so he hadn't even filled out the paperwork. He picks up a check for $157,000. And I'm in here pleading with him for, for five grand. For five grand. Five measly, funky, stinky grand. Mm -hmm. And he's telling me he's not going to lend me any of his money. This, this is how the dialect and, and how he was talking to black people back then. I'm not going to lend you any of my money. Uh, he was calling farmers like myself and senior statesmen to me. Uh, boy, you know, for to you know, that old boy. And uh, mm. those farmers in there were in their 60s and 70s. Uh, Mr. I still refer then, to the guy now as Mr. Tisdale. And he's you know? and he calling them boy. He's calling them boy. Mm. And that's when I went there and I said, well, you're not going to lend any money? And he says, no. I said, well, I, I have a great relationship with God, but I, I didn't have uh, where I am now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if he said F you first or I said F you first. But we both said it. And, uh, and, he, and he spat and it went on my shirt. And that, that's, that's when I started cursing back at him. And, and, I, and I stood up. You know, I'm, I'm young, you know, I was actually, actually thought about... Doing something to him. Yeah, I actually <laughs> thought about taking him to the woodshed, you know, black style. Right. You, know, you don't spit on no brother, man. And I actually literally thought about that, and something said, go to the bathroom, and I did. And I came back, and I said, well, saying to myself, if I hit this guy, I'm going to do some federal time. You know, this, this is the federal government. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I came back in. And I asked him again, I said, so you don't let me no money? He said, no. And that's what he said, well, I, I, I don't give a damn if you don't come back next year. Turned around <coughs> and walked out the office. And when I came out the back door, all of the employees that were inside were outside. And I didn't put two and two together that they were scared. <laughs> oh, they were scared. They heard me yelling in there and he's yelling. They thought you was about to do something. They thought I was about to do something. So all them was... Uh, and I walked by myself. What are these people doing out here for? You know, I, I, I didn't you ain't going to do it to us. Yeah, I didn't put it together. That exchange led to a series of investigations leading to a landmark $1 billion settlement between he and 400 other African-American farmers versus the United States Department of Agriculture. Known as the Pigford and Glickman case, this historic landmark class action suit alleged that from 1981 to 1997, USDA officials ignored complaints brought to them by African-American farmers, denying loans and other support due to rampant discrimination. And that was just the beginning. After that settlement made news and after more black farmers came forward having missed the deadline to apply for money, he made headlines as founder and president of the National Black Farmers Association, advocating on behalf of more than 80,000 late claimants. And in 2000, he began making trips to Washington, D.C., first by car, then in 2002 by mule and wagon, and then, in 2010, via a tractor named Justice. Each time around Capitol Hill, 
and the White House, and each time urging lawmakers and government officials to, quote, step up and honor the settlement agreement from the lawsuit. Today's Sisters Perspective Spotlight is on John Wesley Boyd, food justice advocate and 